A couple of weeks ago, President Trump announced that one Middle Eastern nation would be making peace with Israel. We always hear this term peace in the Middle East as though it's something completely unthinkable, something that's never going to happen. And President Trump brings us that one country, right? So what do people say? Oh, it's not a big deal. It's just the United Arab Emirates. It's not, a, who cares? You know, they're pretty pro-Western. Right? Then he announces that there will be a peace deal between Israel and a second Middle Eastern nation, Bahrain, that happened yesterday across the street at the White House. Oh, well, that's, come on, it's not that big a deal. And then in a typical Trumpian 11th hour surprise, he says, oh, by the way, we're looking at peace deals with, oh, just about nine different nations, possibly including Saudi Arabia. Here's the president announcing the big news. I do things differently. Uh, if, you if you listen to the three world leaders today, and these are highly respected leaders and countries. Uh, UAE is a, uh, is a tremendously respected warrior. I mean, they're warriors. They're a very strong, respected country. Uh, if you listen to what they said, nobody thought of the plan that I thought of. And it's going around the back door. I call it going around the smart door and coming in a different way. And we have many other countries going to be joining us, and they're going to be joining us soon. Uh, we'll have... I can, I mean, I think seven or eight or nine, we're going to have a lot of other countries joining us, including the big ones. We already have the big one, but including the big ones. And this is not something that the people that you mentioned would be able to be doing. And it's not something that my critics thought was possible. And now they say, wow, that was a good idea. I will say uh, it's gotten rave reviews, even from the New York Times and Tom Friedman and a lot of people that don't like Donald Trump too much. Why do we care about peace in the Middle East? Because we thought it was impossible. And yet this guy, this billionaire reality TV show host seems to be on the roads and, and already making steps toward that goal. What does he say? He says, going in around the smart door. All the smart people, all the geniuses, they couldn't work it out. The, the, the region just got worse and worse and worse. And then this guy, Donald Trump, they all said was a buffoon. Turns out he's the one to actually do it. How is this possible? Because God uses the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. He uses the weak things to shame the strong, the despised and low things, the things that are not to shame the things that are. Big, big lesson in here for politics. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. My favorite comment from yesterday, actually it's right, right on this topic. This is from G Daddy who said, yeah, we'll have peace in the Middle East has been a description of the impossible or pipe dream task. Looks like we'll have to change that now to, yeah, we'll have a peaceful protest in a Democrat city. <laughs> yeah, because the, the peace in the Middle East is probably going to happen. Peaceful protest in a Democrat city. That my friends is a true, true pipe dream. Why is this all happening in the Middle East? Well, you know, as we're talking about God using the foolish things to, to shame the strong, I, I have noticed God has had an interest in the Middle East since, you know, uh, the dawn of time. Uh, so it, you're, you're looking at a place that has been so rife with, with political chaos just about forever and uh, certainly in recent years. And yet that's a topic that the president goes after. I guess every president has tried to establish some kind of peace in the Middle East. Didn't work out particularly well for the last few guys who tried it. Barack Obama, George Bush, Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton probably did better than the other two. Trump doing better than all of them. How is this possible? Because we're told that Trump is an idiot and all the smart people don't like him because all the smart people know so much better. This is true, not just we'll move past the Middle East. This is true most clearly in the realm of science. You know, tr Trump and all the Republicans are science deniers. Do you know Scientific American, that vaunted journal, Scientific American, is endorsing a political candidate now. Scientific American is endorsing Joe Biden because Trump is so anti-scientist. The scientists with a trademark over the S, the experts, they hate Trump. So Scientific American, for the first time in its 175-year history, endorses a presidential candidate. They said they were compelled to do so. They said that President Trump, quote, has badly damaged the U.S. and his people because he rejects evidence and science. 
He's attacked environmental protections, medical care, researchers, and public science agencies that help this country prepare for its greatest challenges. He and his vice president have flouted the local mask rules. Oh no, he hasn't muzzled himself all the time. We told him to shut up, but he won't, he won't shut up. He just keeps doing things and succeeding. He's repeatedly lied to the public about the deadly threat of the disease. He's denying reality and hobbling all sorts of U.S. science agencies. Obviously, this has nothing to do with science. As we talked about earlier on this show, or actually at the beginning of this virus, when everyone said we need to listen to the public health experts, you got to look at that phrase. What is a public health expert? A political scientist. Public refers to politics. And then health expert, I guess, could refer to a scientist. So you got science and you got politics. And this clearly, this endorsement is politics. And it's divorced from reality, isn't it? You talk about Donald Trump being divorced from reality. Let's not forget that the so-called public health experts have gotten every single prediction about this virus wrong from the beginning. All the public health experts and the Democratic Party, right, they're basically part of the same institution, were the ones saying that we shouldn't have a travel ban from China, who went along with the World Health Organization, which had been infiltrated by China. It was a puppet of the Chinese regime. They were, they just got everything about the virus wrong. And you know who got a lot of it right as, as best you can during a pandemic? Donald Trump, that fool, that idiot, that unscientific, uh, inexpert guy who just happens to be more correct than all of the experts. Greatest example of this, this kind of politicized science comes from Andrew Cuomo. Andrew Cuomo, the very unfortunate governor of New York, the guy who handled the virus worse than anybody. He just tweeted out yesterday, quote, science knows. That's the tweet. Because we've now entered the stoner freshman here's part of a philosophy lecture phase of Andrew Cuomo's governorship. Science knows, you know? Trouble with that tweet though. Well, there are a lot of problems with that tweet. One is science cannot know I mean, the phrase itself semantically doesn't make any sense because what is science? Science properly understood is knowledge from shire in, in Latin. Science, now we use it to refer to this method of empirical study. Either way, knowledge cannot know. People can know things. Andrew Cuomo can't know very much at all, but people can know things, but knowledge cannot know. Knowledge cannot do the process of having knowledge because knowledge is itself knowledge. You know, you dig man. Consider the kind of people who are talking about science in this way, in this, in this deified way. They're talking about it like science is God, like science is, is everything. The, the pro-science guy, Andrew Cuomo, had the worst response to the virus. The anti-science guy, Donald Trump, had a much better response to the virus. Even at the state level, people were always attacking Ron DeSantis in Florida, who had a much more elderly population than in New York. He's the anti-science Republican. He handled the virus much, much better than the pro-science guy. How does that happen? What, what, about, what about good old science? You know some other things that science knows? Science knows that if a man wants to become a woman and then injects himself with a lot of hormones, that will make him happier. That's what we've been told by science, right? Study just came out, just not true. Just not true. The American Journal of Psychiatry issued a major correction the other day. Big retraction. Reanalysis demonstrates that neither, quote, gender-affirming hormone treatment nor gender affirming surgery, this is when you, a man basically is mutilated to look more like a woman, has reduced the need for mental health services. And then uh, this was put out by public discourse. They say gender anxious people deserve better. I kind of like that term. People who have anxiety about their sex. It's, it sounds kind of PC, but it's a little more accurate than, than some of the PC terms for transgenderism or whatever it is. We were told by science, remember settled science, that uh, people who are confused about their, their sex need to mutilate themselves. And we need to do this to children too. We need to inject them full of hormones and castrate them and, and permanently change their bodies because it'll make them feel better. Turns out no evidence of that whatsoever. As we have been saying from the very beginning, I actually did a lecture tour that was in part about this issue called men are not women and other uncomfortable truths. We were attacked. We were called anti-science. Well, what does the science really say? 
How come all those egghead experts in lab coats are totally wrong? And how come the mean old orange man who is a, a vulgarian and a reality TV star, how come he keeps getting things so right? There's a reason, which we'll get to in a second. First, I got to thank our friends over at Keeps. Maybe it's Trump's hair. <laughs> I don't know. It might be. He gets a lot of power from his hair. I like to think that I get some power from my hair. I'm not exactly a hulking Adonis of a man, you know, but when I was uh, back in my single days, I would do well with the ladies. I think just because I have a nice poofy head of hair over here. Two out of three guys will experience some form of male pattern baldness by the time that they're 35. Best way to fix that? Prevent it. Prevention is the key and you've got to start early. That is why you've got to try Keeps. Start right now. Keeps offers generic versions of the only FDA approved hair loss products that are out there. Maybe you've tried them before. You've never tried them at this price. Uh, The Keeps treatments typically take about four to six months to start working. That's just the way that these uh, products work. So you've got to get started right away. These guys are the real deal. Uh, If you are ready to take action and prevent hair loss right now, go to keeps.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S. Find out why 100,000 men trust Keeps. Treatments start at just $10 per month, $10 per month to keep your head of hair and continue to woo the ladies. Or just, you know, look good and feel good. Keeps.com, K-E-E-P-S dot com slash Knowles. Head on over there right now. Then we can compare hair products and styling tips and all that. So it'll be very fun. It'll be very enjoyable. That's how the anti-science candidate is comparing against all of those vaunted experts. So how's the pro-science candidate doing? You know, science knows. Science. Knowledge. That, That would be Joe Biden, right? Well, that scientific candidate doesn't even seem to know who's at the top of the presidential ticket. Here is Mr. Biden introducing the ticket of Biden-Harris. Nope, uh, he couldn't quite remember that. Harris-Biden administration is going to relaunch that effort and keep pushing further to make it easier for military spouses and veterans to find meaningful careers, to ensure teachers know how to support military children in their classrooms, and to improve support for caregivers and survivors so much more than we do now. People are attacking Joe Biden here because they're saying, gosh, this guy forgot who's at the top of the ticket and who's at the bottom of the ticket. He forgot that he's the one who's supposed to be running for president, not Kamala Harris. And now this is plausible because he also often forgets his name. He referred to the Obiden administration back under Barack Obama. He has forgotten all sorts of things. I actually think this is a moment of candor from Joe Biden, which is that it's pretty clear from his behavior that if heaven forfend he is elected president, he won't be running the show. He obviously won't be running the show. He doesn't know where he is. He, he's been locked away in a basement. Last night, we had essentially a presidential debate with only one candidate. That was on ABC with George Stephanopoulos. We'll get to that in a second because President Trump did very well there. Suffice it to say he did very well. But the format of it was basically a presidential debate, except they wouldn't send Joe Biden because obviously Joe Biden is going to be devoured for lunch if he goes and does anything like that. So yes, it'll, I don't know that it'll be Harris running the country. Probably what it will be is the liberal establishment, which is why these so-called scientists, these fake scientists, like people at Scientific American and all the egghead experts interested in public health are not interested in health in, in particular. They're not interested in medicine in particular. They're interested in politics and they're interested in power. And if Joe Biden wins, he will be the empty suit vessel of this liberal establishment power in which all of these egghead experts think that they can control our lives. That has been the explicit goal of the progressive project going back at least 100 years, at least to Woodrow Wilson, and really before that, that you have a a science of administration, a science of history, a science of politics that takes choice away from we the people, takes choice away from our constitutional system, gives it to these unaccountable technocrats who are going to make all of our decisions for us. And who is the vessel of that? This empty suit, Joe Biden. Joe Biden getting off an airplane, ostensibly to do a campaign event, uh, gets off the plane and he does that kind of typical politician thing. He waves at all the people. Trouble was, he was waving at no one because nobody was around his plane. He's stepping off the jet. There's maybe two bodyguards. And then he's, he's waving at pretend crowds of people. He then turns, so he's got these, to his right, he's got two, presumably, Secret Service agents. And 
he starts waving, not at them, but at imaginary crowds of people behind them. And then on the other side of Joe Biden, he hears a reporter say, Mr. Vice President. By the way, Joe Biden's not the vice president. He should not be referred to as Mr. Vice President. But then he turns around and, and you know, obviously doesn't answer their questions because he doesn't answer any of the press's questions now. They still love him for it. But this was, this was not just uh, some mistake that he thought the Secret Service agent was somewhere else. He was pretending, just like he's pretending to be at the top of his ticket, except when he forgets and he puts uh, Kamala Harris up there. Then the greatest moment for this pro-science genius candidate, this brilliant candidate who in 50 years in government never accomplished to, uh, never accomplished very much of anything, maybe one or two halfway decent bills that he's now disavowing. 50 years in government, all this expert doesn't give us very much. It actually brings us to the situation that President Trump had to come in and correct. But there was one wonderful moment when he pandered to Hispanics in a way that would make Robert Francis Beto O'Rourke blush with embarrassment. We'll get to that in one second. First, got to thank our friends over at ReadyWise. Now is a good time to prepare, my friends. Things are getting a little crazy out there, and you want to make sure that you're prepared for your family. Whether it's natural disaster, we're seeing that happen all over the West Coast right now. Whether it's a man-made disaster, we're seeing that happen all around the country right now. Now is a better time than ever to be prepared with long-term nutritious food from our friends. Emergency meals, free dried, freeze-dried fruits and vegetables for convenient on-the-go nutrition. And if you're an outdoorsman, which I very rarely am, but sometimes I am, you get new adventure meals for hiking, camping, and other outdoor activities, uh, which I just tried out. I tried some of these activities out uh, last week, and it was very fun. So now, now I'm going to have to use that as an excuse to be able to get the adventure meals as well. Readywise meals are easy to prepare. You just add water. They have a very long shelf life. They taste great. They're really, really high quality. But most importantly, they give you peace of mind. And if you have not been convinced now that you need to be prepared, I don't know what is going to convince you. This week, my listeners can get free shipping at readywise.com when entering Knowles at checkout or by calling 855-453-2945. Be sure to mention Knowles. ReadyWise has a 90-day, no questions asked return policy. There is no risk in taking the initiative to get yourself and your family prepared today. Really, really great company offering a very important product right now. R-E-A-D-Y-W-I-S-E.com, promo code Knowles to get free shipping. Biden then shows up to a campaign event. This is for Hispanic Heritage Month. Hispanic, by the way, is only a racial designation that's about 40 or so years old. It was invented by a bunch of these political science types and a quarter of Hispanics in the United States today don't even identify with the label. But whatever, he shows up to Hispanic Heritage Month. That's, you know, this kind of racial division is part and parcel of the left-wing project. And he decides that Joe typically is going to pander to the audience. How is he going to do it? By playing a song from his phone popularized by Justin Bieber. I just have one thing to say. Hang on here. <laughs> All right. There he is. There you go. Swaying yeah, side to side. Laughing. <laughs> I'll tell you what, if I had the talent of any one of these people, I'd be I'd be elected president by acclamation. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And uh, hello and happy Hispanic Hispanic Heritage Month. Hello, thank you. If I had the talent of that noted Hispanic Justino Bibero. Oh man, that'd be, I'd be great because I'm old pandering Joe and he, you like him right now. Uh, yes, it's true. The song has been done by actual Hispanic artists, but can you imagine this level of pandering? It's, it's why I said this about Biden from the very beginning. It's not that Biden is some, you know, radical leftist. It's not, it's not that he's conservative or moderate either. It's not that Joe Biden is a vicious liar. It's not that Joe Biden tells the truth. Joe Biden is a cynical, pandering politician. All Joe Biden is, is a wink and a smile. That's all he is. It's all he's ever been in politics. There's a, there's actually a website. It's been up for over 10 years now, I think called joebidensteeth.com. And it's illustrative because Joe Biden is just sort of caricature of a politician. He wants to slap you on the back and say, oh, hey, you're great, buddy. So he just goes there. He goes, okay, all right, what, what can I use to pander to people? I'll just play this stupid song and I'll pretend to dance around to it. Okay. And then I'll say that, yeah, these guys are so much more talented than me. Ha ha. Give me your votes. It's Joe Biden. 
that is silly pandering, not very knowledgeable, not very ex expert, not very scientific. But this is the establishment that is controlling us, and it's controlling our institutions of highest learning, particularly on this issue of racial pandering. You want to talk about experts not knowing their own field. University of Chicago, a once great university, this was once a top-tier university in the United States. The English department at the University of Chicago for this coming year is not going to be accepting graduate students unless these graduate students want to focus on black studies. Black studies is a fake academic discipline. It is uh, merely part of an ideological campaign called critical theory. It, it, you don't learn anything really doing it, but it's a, it's a way to train for political activism and to destroy the very culture that you're supposed to be studying in English. But there, there's a broader point. We, won't, we don't need to get into critical theory. President Trump has made some comments on this, and maybe we'll get into it a little bit later in the week or next week. I just want to focus on the English department. If you don't do black studies, you can't study English as a graduate student at Chicago. I don't know if you know very much about the English language or the English peoples. For the long history of the English language, the vast majority of them, statistically, I guess 100%, you know, obviously there are some exceptions in the more modern era, but generally for the, the history of English, it's been white people writing in English because the English are white, because the English language has typically been used by the English people, and the English people are very, very white. So if you don't focus on black studies, say for instance you want to study Shakespeare, or Chaucer, or Milton, or Dunn, or Wordsworth, or Shelley, or Keats, or Beowulf, or if you want to study any, Beowulf is going really, really far back. We don't, we don't even need to. Let's just look even more recently, up until this very modern era, and up until black studies became an academic discipline a, a few decades ago. You, you can't read that, that English language anymore. This, this was a, something that began actually at Yale a few years ago when Yale decolonized the English department. You no longer had to study Shakespeare or Chaucer to graduate from Yale, summa cum laude, in English. Preposterous. I bet you Donald Trump who they always say is inarticulate, doesn't have a good handling of the English language. I bet you Donald Trump could have told you more about the English language than the University of Chicago English department professors. Because they've become absolutely mad through their abstract theories. English as a discipline, they write, has a long history of providing aesthetic rationalizations for colonization, exploitation, extraction, and anti-blackness. What does any of that jargon mean? Not very much, but these are the genius people. These are the people with PhDs. These are the experts and the scientists. But God uses the foolish things to confound the wise. I mentioned yesterday on the show that there's this funny thing in America where all the very fancy experts with the very fancy jackets and, you know, very fancy degrees, they're always shocked to learn that your average run-of-the-mill American knows as much and usually more than they do. Bill Buckley famously said he'd rather be governed by the first 2,000 people in the phone book than the faculty of Harvard College. Me too. Add Chicago and Yale to that list as well. Why is that? Because what, when people get a bunch of fancy degrees and PhD and all the letters after their name, they seem very wise, but very often they're very, very foolish. And people who seem as though they're foolish often are much wiser. How is it? Well, this, this came to total fruition. This theory came to fruition last night in the Trump town hall, which we will touch on briefly. First though, I've got to thank our friends over at LifeLock. The FBI's cyber division is now warning that students and families will be increasingly vulnerable to cyber attacks because of the current online learning use of teleconference applications. Okay, since the start of the pandemic, we actually have some numbers here, there's been a 300% increase in cybercrime activity. Hackers are becoming more sophisticated. They're taking advantage of this. This always happens. Did you really think you could take the whole country, put it all online, which already has vulnerabilities, and then not see an increase in cybercrime? No, maybe you did. I mean, because you don't think about these things. You think, oh, they're not going to come after my information. They do. You've got to protect your identity. Very important to understand how cybercrime and identity theft are affecting our lives. Now, no one can prevent 
All identity theft are monitor all transactions at all businesses. But you can find out if your information is lurking out there among bad people on the dark web. Get your free dark web scan right now. There's no reason not to do this, guys. Lifelock.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S. I rely on these guys. I trust these guys. Pick the plan that's right for you. You save up to 25% off your first year with promo code Knowles. There is a free scan at lifelock.com slash Knowles. Get 25% off with promo code Knowles. Do it now. I mean, now is, now is the time when we're all online so much. It's, it's very important to nip these things in the bud, catch these sort of things early. Following in the vein of the Chicago English department, uh, the Markles, you know, Meghan Markle and Mr. Markle, formerly known as Prince Harry, back when he was a royal and back when he was a man, uh, have, have inked this multi-million dollar deal with Netflix. Well, now Meghan Markle wants to do a movie about the life of the founder of the BLM organization, Patrice Colors. She's that woman who, who described herself on camera as a trained Marxist who kind of outed the organization as a Marxist front organization. She's been an activist who's taken money from George Soros. I know you're not allowed to say that anymore, but you can trace the money. It's pretty simple. That's what they want to make the movie of. These people who are in the ruling class, I mean, uh, you know, she's a royal, right? Or sort of a royal, actually in the ruling class, but BLM and the people funding BLM and the scientific establishment and the media and all the liberal established ruling class is pushing this kind of radicalism on you that your average common fella on the street would look at and say, nah, I, I don't agree with the BLM organization. I don't think we should undermine the nuclear family. I don't think that we need to foster an anti cisgendered network, whatever kind of crazy language they use practically much wiser than this ruling class. This ruling class, by the way, which has now tied itself to Netflix. Barack Obama tied himself to Netflix. He's getting zillions of dollars from this, like Meghan Markle. And Netflix is pushing pedophile happy movies, pedophile pleasing movies like Cuties. We talked about Cuties earlier in the week. They're pushing this. This is their number one product right now. They're standing by it. It's a degenerate, filthy movie that obviously should not be there. They never have to answer for this sort of thing. Your average person on the street has a natural revulsion to something like cuties. What, what the great philosopher Leon Cass described as the wisdom of repugnance. You just know on your gut level, you think, ah, this movie, there's just something wrong with it. Even beyond cuties, this BLM organization that calls itself Marxist, there's just something wrong with it. Wisdom of repugnance. The old common people seem to have that. The experts and the wise do not. Speaking of cuties, by the way, the director of cuties, Maimuna Ducore, is uh, defending cuties at the Toronto Film Festival. And it, it shows you, it actually shows you something on this point that we're talking about, the wise and the foolish. She says, she's defending the movie, she says, it's bold, it's feminist, but it's so important and necessary to create debate and try to find solutions. For me as an artist, it's a real issue. It's important to see someone like you on the screen and to grow up with a lot of possibilities. So of course, diversity and inclusion have to be the keys to progress in our cinema. Now, all of that's just gobbledygook, stupid words, but she is getting to one of the real defenses here of the movie. I think it's a preposterous defense, but it, it sounds plausible, which is there is a problem in fundamentalist Islam of treating young girls poorly and in a sense, sort of sexualizing them or or at least focus, you know, you've, you've got uh, general, general mutilation, other disturbing aspects of the sexualization of young girls. So you have that there. And then in decadent Western France, you have another type of disturbing sexualization of young girls, namely this WAP culture of everything is licentious and pornographic and disgusting. And both have these pitfalls. That's, that's the defensible possible message of cuties, right? Problem with cuties is in talking about these things, it actually sexualizes the young girls, right? These are 11 year old actresses and they're putting them on screen and having them do all these sexual things. That's why the movie is indefensible. Well, what this woman's saying is it's very important to see someone just like you on screen. And it reminds me of a conversation I had with John Voight, you know, the great actor, John Voight, a man starred in many very important films, Midnight Cowboy, Anaconda, that sort of thing. I was sitting with John Voight and Senator Cruz. We were doing a show, part of the verdict show. And uh, John Voight pointed out that the acting has, uh, has gotten better over time. And this is true. As you had the kind of 
more left-wing acting theorists and actors come up, you had guys like Brando, right, who just gave a more naturalistic kind of acting than the people who came before him. Some of those movie stars that came before him, Cary Grant, those types, they were really in these wonderful movies, but the acting became much more naturalistic. And the acting today is very naturalistic. And you have these method actors who, who are, you know, totally changing their body chemistry, all these sorts of things for the role. And then it occurred to me, I was talking to another, another guy, not an actor, I was talking to John Marini, a great political philosopher and writer. And John Marini pointed out, the acting has gotten so much better, but the stories have become so much less real. In the old days, the stories were so real and relatable to so many people, and the acting was maybe a little bit worse. But now all we care about is the acting, we don't really care about the stories. So all the old Oscar movies, they, people used to relate to them. Now nobody, who relates to these Oscar movies? was it Moonlight was one of the stories a few years ago. All these kind of weird Oscar movies that nobody actually goes and sees, but the acting is so good. It's because we don't, we don't understand even what reality means anymore. Right? We'll take the emotional reality of these kind of individual people and moments in the acting, but we've lost sight of the bigger story. We've lost sight of like what this actually means. And so on any little tiny, say it's a statistic for COVID, we can zoom in really close, but we don't see the bigger picture. We don't see what it means for society. We've, we've, had, we've had pandemics before. We've had plagues before in the world. This is the first time we've shut down the entire country, the entire world over something like this. Why? Because we've lost sight of this bigger picture. And often it's the common people and the foolish people and the rubes and the idiots and the deplorables and the irredeemables who can see that kind of thing, while the experts cannot see that kind of thing. And that's what President Trump did uh, yesterday in this town hall. We will get to that right now. But first, I've got to thank you. Head on over to the Daily Wire. Daily Wire right now, if you subscribe, if you go to dailywire.com slash Knowles, you use the code watch, you will get 15% off. Also, while you're subscribing, I encourage you to do that. You should go on over, if you're watching this on YouTube, go to the Michael Knowles Show YouTube channel. Ring the bell, subscribe. We're going to be putting the shows on the show channels right now. I like it when Ben gets some clicks on the Daily Wire channel, but really, I want it to go to the Michael Knowles Show uh, channel. And, and really, the reason we're doing this is it helps us get around some of the big tech censorship that you know sometimes puts a damper on all the things that we want to watch when they're not politically correct, because we got people in lab coats who tell us what we should know and what we shouldn't know. So head on over to dailywire.com slash Knowles, uh, code watch, get 15% off. We will be right back with the magnificently Trumpy town hall. Welcome back to the wonderful Trumpy town hall. He, he killed it. That's the big takeaway. The big takeaway is President Trump goes in to what was certain to be a hostile town hall with George Stephanopoulos, who is now a pretend reporter and anchor and journalist for ABC. But in reality, he's Clinton's ex-hatchet man. He was Bill Clinton's communications director in the White House. He's a Democrat operative who now, because he has Democratic privilege and he's a member of this ruling class, we tolerate as a journalist. So Trump goes in, he doesn't care. He knows that the audience is going to be handpicked and it's going to be hostile. He knows it's on a hostile network. He knows it's with a hostile interviewer or mod moderator, quote unquote. And he knows that his opponent, his ostensible opponent, Joe Biden, isn't even going to show up because he's not capable of doing something like this. So he goes into the lion's den. Maybe some, some people thought he shouldn't do this because it's so stacked against him. And what does he do? He kills it. He knocks it out of the park. There are a few moments in particular, though, that highlight what happened here. Because sometimes people think Trump is too rash. He's too emotional. He's too this. He's too that. He went into this thing prepared. He went in measured. He went in strong. And he went in likable. The key is he tailored his responses to the medium. He didn't talk like he was on Twitter. He didn't talk like he was on cable news. He didn't talk. He talked like he was on network news, which is a little, little bit of a more mature audience. They like it to be a little more calm and respectful. And he did that. This guy understands the medium. And he was asked a question about this, actually, about all the tweets and everything. He was asked a question from a guy about why he's not presidential, why he's not always nice, why he doesn't have the kind of pandering, soft, back slapping air of someone like, I don't know, Joe Biden. Trump's answer 
typified his presidency. So I'm fighting a battle. It's a big battlefield and I have a lot of forces against me. I have the media, which I call the fake news because a lot of it is fake. And I mean a big book, as you understand, a lot of it is fake. I'm fighting a lot of forces. Sometimes you don't have time to be totally, as you would say, presidential. You have to get things done. I think I've done more than any other president in the first three and a half years. When you look at what we've done for tax cuts and regulation cuts and uh, the vets, all of the things that we've done for the West, we have, we have a 91% approval factor now for the vets. So we rebuilt our military. We created Space Force. I mean, we did so many things uh, right to try, which is so incredible and so successful. You know what right to try is? We did more. I really believe it more than any other president in the first three and a half years. That's a great answer. It vindicates a thesis that I have been pushing and actually that Ann Coulter put forward first now for years. The typical argument about Trump is that people voted for him because of his personality in spite of his policies. They just got a kick out of how brash he was and he's not politically correct. And so they'll vote for him even though his policies are all kooky. That was the consensus conservative view, but it was BS. I knew it was BS and wrote this book called, it had a funny title. It was called In Trump We Trust, E Pluribus Awesome. Slightly silly title, but the book itself was very good. And she said, it's the opposite. And I've been saying it's the opposite from the beginning too, which is people voted for Trump in spite of his personality for his policies, because he was offering genuinely different policies, not just from Hillary Clinton, though that was important too, but even from his fellow Republicans. He was seeing something that even his fellow Republicans, the vast majority of them, couldn't see. And that was his answer here. They said, why weren't you presidential? He says, look, I'm me, okay? Maybe you like me. Maybe you get a kick out of me, especially if you're a New Yorker, like, like uh, Drew and I, I think, like Trump a little bit more than some conservatives because we're New Yorkers. So we, we understand the way he talks. We have a lot of family members who talk that way. But even if you don't, let's say you don't like the way he talks. Look at what he's doing. Look at what I'm doing. Look at the reality. Yeah, all these expert, wise, brilliant people, they spin a good yarn, man. They talk so good. Oh, their theories are so great. Except they, they don't work in reality to, to help people, to make our politics better, to bring peace to the Middle East, to fix some of our manufacturing problems, to fix our trade problems, to fix our economy, to fix our country. They don't actually do those things. And my policies do. And all my dumb, deplorable, stupid, irredeemable policies, turns out they actually accomplish the things that apparently we're all supposed to be accomplishing. That's a great answer. Then, getting back to racial grievance, you see uh, the difference between the real and the imagined and the wise and the foolish. Why, the reality here was central to this town hall in several questions. There was a guy who gets up, I think he referred to himself as a pastor. I don't know if he was if he was a pastor or not, but he gets up and he was Im immediately hostile to the president. And he asked this question about the ghettos. He said, you know, you're talking about how America was, is going to become great again. Well, it, America was never great for black people living in the ghettos. Trump's response tells you a lot. How you doing, Mr. President? Good. Uh, you've coined the phrase, make America great again. Right. When has America been great for African-Americans in the ghetto of America? Are you aware of how tone deaf that comes off to African-American community? Well, I can say this. We have tremendous African-American support. You've probably seen it in the polls. We're doing extremely well with uh, African-American, Hispanic-American at levels that uh, you've rarely seen a Republican have. So he just totally shuts down the premise, right? And he had, he had two false premises here, this, this questioner. The first one was that Trump coined the phrase, make America great again. He didn't. He took it from Ronald Reagan. And Ronald Reagan may have taken it from Richard Nixon. And of course, this phrase, make America great again, has a long history in America. Because in this country, we used to like our country until not so long ago. So he shuts that down. And then he gets to, I mean, he sort of, he sort of goes along with it. He goes, okay, I see where you're going. But don't forget, people used to love this country. Then he shuts down the premise that it's tone deaf to black Americans. Why? Because Trump is doing better among black Americans, according to the polls, than other Republican candidates have. He goes, I don't, th maybe it's, maybe you're the one who's tone deaf, questioner. Then this questioner pushes further. He pushes on this issue of the ghettos and why, you know, the, the idea that make America great again is this new phrase that's just been coined is the opposite of reality. We used to like this country. And now because of things like 
critical theory and all this left-wing claptrap in academia that all the wise people are pushing. Now we hate our country, but that's the new thing. America was never great is the new idea. That's the new phrase. And it's the one that this guy's pushing. He pushes it further. I mean, your statement is though, make it great again. So historically, uh, the African-American experience, especially in these out of these ghettos that have been out of red line, uh, historically, these ghettos that have systemically been set yes, up and treated yes. the way that they have been, the conditions of the drugs, the guns and everything else that actually created the symptoms yeah. for what we see uh, that you profess to be just the democratic cities in themselves. Uh, these things have historically been happening for African-Americans in these ghettos, and we have not been seeing uh, a change, uh, quite frankly, under your administration. So everything here is so backwards and wrong. So let's try to parse it very quickly. First of all, what Trump points out is you're talking about all these cities. All these cities are run by Democrats, all of them, every single one. <laughs> so it, it, don't take it up with me, man. I don't run the cities. I'm a, I'm the president. I run the federal government. If you've got an issue with some slums in the cities, talk to the Democrats who've been there. So he goes, okay, fine. Democrats run them, but these problems have been on for a long time. Like, right. The Democrats have been running them for a long time, <laughs> believe it or not. So yeah, it's a longstanding problem for that. But then it gets worse because there's this philosophical base where he says, look, there's drugs, there's crime in these neighborhoods. These are, these are tough neighborhoods. And, and those are creating the symptoms that we're seeing. What, what symptoms are you talking about? The, the symptoms you're seeing of these bad neighborhoods are the drugs and the crime. The drugs and the crime can't create the, the symptoms of the drugs and the crime. Kind of like Andrew Cuomo's mistake here that science can't know because knowledge is knowledge. knowledge. Knowledge itself cannot know. So what is causing these problems? Notice here, this guy never has any sense of personal responsibility. This guy never has a sense of even local responsibility. It's all orange man's fault that the cities, the inner cities have been bad for a long time in this country. Well, the cities have been bad. They've gotten worse. They've gotten better because of some policies, because of some cultures falling apart. Yeah, those are problems, but no sense. And this guy talking as though America's so awful. This is a new idea among all demographics, including black people, including people who live in cities. Go read Booker Washington's Up From Slavery. He was the leading civil rights advocate of his time. That was a man who was deeply grateful to America, loved this country, wanted to make things better, but had a, had a base gratitude for his country and didn't, didn't whine and complain about all sorts of problems to people who didn't create those problems at all and actually trying to help fix those problems. This guy saying, oh, the black experience in America has always been terrible. This is a guy who is speaking on national television to the president of the United States. This is a guy who is embodying privilege. And he says, oh, it's all a terrible, awful, no good, rotten country. There, there's no fixing that disease. I mean, that, that requires proper education, meaning you've got to be raised correctly. You've got to know how to behave yourself. And that is not how you behave yourself to the president of the United States. That's not how you should think. He clearly was not well-educated, albeit I'm sure he's being vaunted as this brilliant man speaking truth to power. Then you had another woman. You had a woman embodying the same sort of thing. She was even more rude to the president. She was even more expert. She had a PhD after all. And she said things that were even stupider. Hi, um, Hi. Mr. President. I was born with a disease called sarcoidosis. And from the day I was born, I was considered uninsurable. That disease uh, started in my skin, moved to my eyes, into my optic nerves, and when I went to graduate school, into my brain. When it hit my brain, I was automatically eligible for disability for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. I chose instead to get a bachelor's degree, a master's degree, a PhD, and become a professor. Great. It is great, except I still have similar health care problems. It costs me, with co-pays, I'm still paying almost $7,000 a year in addition to the co-pay. And should pre-existing conditions, which Obamacare brought, into, uh, brought to fruition, be removed? No. Without, please stop and let me finish my question, sir. No, he shouldn't have let this woman. I mean, he was being very polite because this was network TV. And I, I don't know. I mean, he was being more polite than I probably would have. This woman is being extraordinarily rude. She's saying very dumb things. Shows you the state of the American university that this woman could have a PhD. Yes. And the pre-existing conditions that Barack Obama brought to fruition. What does that mean? She's just saying words. 
Just think gobbledygook. And worse than that is her attitude, this attitude of pride. Yes, it's very impressive that I have a PhD. If, the, if these are the wise people, if, if all these eggheads who hate America at, at, at every university now, every, even at the most elite universities, they're probably the worst, then a PhD doesn't seem to be worth very much, does it? All of these degrees, all these alphabet letters, so wise they are, doesn't, doesn't seem to understand very much. She's so rude to this guy. Clearly wasn't well-educated because, like for instance, in the Italian language, when you, the word rude, ill-behaved, is maleducato, badly educated. The idea, used to be at least, that education was not just stuffing your head full of facts, but actually was how you behave, how you are raised, how you comport yourself, how you exercise the virtues. Clearly, a lot of people in this country, not very well educated. And it's funny because Trump, who has brash behavior on occasion, seems to be exhibiting very good behavior, very good education. Then she finishes up her silly point. Should that be removed within a 36 to 72 hour period without my medication, I will be dead. And I want to know what it is that you're going to do to assure that people like me who work hard, we do everything we're supposed to do, can stay insured. It's not my fault that I was born with this disease. It's not my fault that I'm a black woman and in the medical community, I'm minimized and not taken seriously. Black women are minimized in the medical community and in public. Like, give me a break. My goodness gracious, the only, the only three words you're allowed to say today in, in the university and corporate American public life is black lives matter. All of the big tech companies changing their biographies, black lives matter. You marginalized? What are you talking about? And did you see the problem in her logic? She says she was born with this disease. And you know, if, if she goes three days without Obamacare, she'll die. How did she live before Obamacare? Presumably the woman isn't uh, 10 years old. How did she live before Obamacare? Fine. She said, I accomplished all these things. I'm so great and wonderful and important. I got a PhD. Okay. You did fine before Obamacare. And wasn't Obamacare supposed to fix all of these problems once and for all? How come we still have so many healthcare problems? Oh, because Obamacare didn't do that. And all these wise, wonderful people now blaming Trump and through Trump, because they're not really even talking about Trump. They're blaming America. The best hit of the night was a woman uh, who was, who was crying. Uh, she came out and uh, she talked about how her mother just died from coronavirus. Trump handled this question very, very well. Take a listen. Hi, Mr. President, Mr. Thank George. You. Hi, everyone. Um, my name is Flor Cruzeta. Sorry if I can't hold my, hold I my love, tears. I what you just did. I came in 2006 with my mom from Dominican Republic. Sorry. She's there. She's trying to gather her thoughts. Obviously, it's emotional. Right. She's talking just about take it. your time. That's fine. George has plenty of time, I hope, right? Absolutely. Thank you. You see a real human empathy here. This woman's mother just died from coronavirus. She's obviously very upset by it. And Trump is very comforting, actually. Terry, just take your time. Comforting in all the senses of the word. He's, he's very nice to her, but he's also saying, hey, don't worry. You'll be strong. Don't worry. I'm get, to give strength is to comfort, right? Yeah, George has plenty of time. It's okay. So she gathers herself. And she's a supporter of Trump. She says her mother was a supporter and she's a supporter. Then she asks a question about how he's going to fix immigration. What will you do for our immigration system? What would you change to make more people like me and like her to become citizen and vote? Okay. And there's the question, right? And, and I was wondering, why did they let this woman through who's so emotional, so, so sympathetic, so pro-Trump? Why, why would ABC and Stephanopoulos allow this nice question in? And I realized then it's because her question involves this tough issue, which is she says, how are we, I'm so sympathetic, how are we going to get more and more immigrants into the country? And the trouble is that actually across party lines, the majority of Americans want to dramatically reduce immigration, not because anybody hates anybody, not because anyone's bigoted or prejudiced or whatever word you want to use. But simply because we've taken in, we've taken way, way more people than anywhere else in the world. Over the last 60 years, it's been the largest mass movement of humans in the history of the world. And we're discouraging assimilation and we're telling people to hate this awful, terrible country like these, uh, these academics and these experts have been saying now for a long time. And so we just can't do it. We can't take all of those people in. So it puts Trump in a tough corner because he's either got to go along and reverse his immigration plan and harm himself with the public broadly and with his base, or he's got to seem like he's being mean to this very sympathetic woman who likes him. What does he do? 
he says, we're going to have a good immigration plan. And then he starts talking about the specifics, her, her mother, giving this personal comfort. He did extraordinarily well here. It, it was one of the best performances I've seen from him. I'm perfectly willing to call out things when I think he does something that's not really smart or does not really help him. Last night, he really helped himself. One last thought to leave you on. Kanye West. Kanye West tweets out yesterday that he's the new Moses. Kanye West said, I need to see everybody's contracts at Universal and Sony. I'm not going to watch my people be enslaved. I'm putting my life on the line for my people. The music industry and the NBA are modern day slave ships. I'm the new Moses. He's catching a lot of flack for saying this, that Kanye West is Moses. Love that. He's right. He's right. I said this earlier when Kanye was saying he was going to run for president. I read his platform and I said, look, it's obviously eccentric and he's a performer and an entertainer. I said, but at, at a base philosophical level, this guy gets politics better than 70% of even elected Republicans and certainly than the entire left. Kanye West, he's an idiot. He's a fool. He's a rube. He's a deplorable and an irredeemable. He doesn't know anything. That guy knows more than a lot of people. What he's talking about here in this media establishment and more broadly the liberal establishment is a modern day slavery of the mind. It is a slavery of the mind that seeks but to destroy our culture. Vox.com, the liberal outlet, is now going after Beethoven, trying to destroy Beethoven. Maybe we'll try to get to that tomorrow. It's trying to destroy the whole culture. That is a mental slavery that is going to tear people apart, tear our culture apart. And it's being pushed at the highest levels with the wise and the experts. And the one consolation we have, I know I say often on the show that, that a conservative consolation is that reality reasserts itself in the end. Another one is providence. Providence, the way that even bad things get turned for good in this world. And they do it not because of any cockamamie academic theory. They do it because God says so, darn it. And all those bitter, clinging, deplorable, irredeemable, rube idiots who believe in crazy concepts like God, you know, uh, against the will of all of the, the white lab coats. Those people, those common foolish people often turn out to be right. Even when it's Kanye West, even when it's Donald Trump. Peace in the Middle East. My goodness, can you believe it? That's our show. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. See you tomorrow. If you enjoyed this episode, and frankly, even if you didn't, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Andrew Klavan Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Ben Davies. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Supervising producers, Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Assistant director, Pavel Wadowski. Editor and associate producer, Danny D'Amico. Audio mixer, Robin Fenderson. Hair and makeup, Nika Geneva. And production assistant, Ryan Love. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. Hey everyone, it's Andrew Claven, host of The Andrew Claven Show. While the left keeps trying to make a scandal out of every stupid little thing, Donald Trump has been busy making an amazing move toward peace in the Middle East. Hilarity ensues. Plus, we have the BLM mailbag, a fiery riot of wisdom on The Andrew Claven Show. Hold up. 